You may be seated. Let's start in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for the worship that we've been able to experience this morning uh, in all our services, Lord. Uh, thank you for these, this time in song uh, to praise you. Thank you for the time at the table. Thank you for your word, which we have read and will now explore. Uh, Lord, this is a, a difficult passage, an intricate passage, and so we pray for understanding and wisdom uh, that you would give us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Who are you? Who are you? This was his first question. A few weeks ago, I was on a very late plane flight back home one night, and there was one seat left on the plane. It was a full flight, except one seat right next to me. Now, this looks pretty good. I was hoping I could get some sleep, have a quiet plane ride on my way back home, but that is not what happened. Right as the door closed, one last passenger jumped aboard, walked down the center aisle, and wouldn't you know it, he sat down right next to me. He was in his mid-twenties, long, scraggly hair. He was wearing pajamas in public. That's all I'll say about that, and he was rather talkative. Now, normally people ask, what do you do? How many times have you been asked that when you meet someone? But he asked, who are you? If someone asked you that on your next plane flight, how would you answer? Who are you? Well, I answered, I'm a husband. My wife, Megan, and I have been married for about nine years, and I'm a father. My daughter, Eden, was just born. Well, this was last year, so earlier this year, and is 10 months old? And I think that is how most of us would answer that question. We define ourselves by the relationships that are most important to us. That is how we answer this, who are you question. You would probably do the same if you were asked it. So through the book of John, we've been seeing people run into Jesus and see these miracles and, and listen to his teaching. And there's this question, who is this Jesus? And today, he's going to answer that question in a way many of us do, by discussing his most important relationship, his relationship with God the Father. Jesus has broken, if you remember from last week, Jesus has just broken some of the Pharisees' rules about the Sabbath, and they are furious with him. But he's going to turn this debate, not about Sabbath rules, He's going to turn it from Sabbath rules. He's going to turn it into a, a discussion about his relationship with God the Father. And we will see him give us three descriptions, three aspects of his relationship with the Father. Now, often in Scripture, you'll find that Jesus is called the Son of God or simply the Son. And so these are three descriptions of the Son's relationship with his Father. And our first description of the Son's relationship with the Father is unity. We see this beginning in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus equates himself with God the Father by saying, We are both equally above 
your Sabbath rules. And these leaders, they immediately understand what Jesus is getting at here at the end of verse 18. He's making himself equal with God. But he takes it one step further. Not only is he equal, not only the Son and Father equal, they're unified. Verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can, o- he can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So a couple phrases in there. Jesus says, the Son can do nothing by himself. And he says, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He, he repeats these later in the passage to make this point as well. The Father and Son are unified. You can't pull them apart. They're inseparable. They're, they're one. So first, the relationship between the Father and Son is one of unity. Unity. We'll see the second description in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Jesus' second description of the Son's relationship with the Father is love. Later in John's Gospel, in chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus will simply say, I love the Father. I love the Father. And this language, if you think about it, this language of Father and Son conveys in itself this deep, familiar love. So the second description of the Son's relationship with the Father is love. And the third description of this relationship begins in verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Skipping to verse 30, by, himself, my, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus' third description of the relationship between the Son and the Father is that it's one of distinction. Distinction. There are two distinct persons, the Father and the Son. And we can begin to see this distinction in the different roles that they take. In verses 22, 26, 27, and 30, we see the Father entrusting, granting, giving authority over to the Son. In verse 23, we see him sending the Son. So we see the Father's distinct role of authority. And we also see two of the Son's distinct roles in these verses. We see his role as giver of life in verses 21, 24, and 26, and his role as judge in 22, 27, and 30. Though these verses seem kind of complicated, they really repeat the same messages over and over again. So we see these distinct roles, but then Jesus makes this distinction even more clear in verse 30. 
with some very simple language, if you think about it. There he says, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. There's a me and a him. A me and a him. A myself and a him. There's a distinction between the father and son. The father is not the son and the son is not the father. So third, the relationship between the father and son is one of distinction. Distinction. So in these verses, Jesus is describing the son's relationship with his father. This is the relationship that defines him, that answers the question in a similar way that we all do. That question of who are you? It's a relationship of unity, love, and distinction. Unity, love, and distinction. What Jesus is describing is one of the relationships of the Trinity. The Trinity. Now, the Trinity is a core belief of our church. If you've noticed, the, the logo of our church is the three rings of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just a couple minutes ago, we did something we do every single week. We reaffirmed the Trinity as we sang the doxology. Its last line being praise. I'm not going to sing it for you because you would all leave if I sang. I'm not Jack. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then how does, what is the last line? Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The Trinity. And in this passage, Jesus gives us a beautiful glimpse into the Trinity by describing this relationship between the Father and Son. So to really understand this passage, we have to spend just a moment, just a brief moment, talking about the Trinity itself. Because the relationships of the Trinity define who God is, just as our relationships define who we are. And answer that question, who are you? Who are you? The Trinity is the Christian belief that in one sense there are three distinct persons of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet in another sense, those three are so united, inseparable, that they are one in essence. Now that might give you a headache. If it does, we've got some ibuprofen, some Tylenol out in the hall on your way out this morning. But Jesus really helped us in this passage. He gave us three descriptions of the Son's relationship of the Father. Those were unity, love, and distinction. Unity, love, and distinction. And those descriptions hold just as true for the relationships between all three of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we're going to use those to help us understand the Trinity itself. What were they? Unity, love, and distinction. I'm going to test you for a second. Can you say them with me? The relationships of the Trinity are defined by unity, love, and distinction. One more time. Unity, love, and distinction. There we go. So let's use these three descriptions from Jesus and his relationship with the Father to begin to just, just briefly get our minds around the, the Trinity and how the Trinity works. So first, there's a relationship of unity in the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are unified as one God. They're made of the same stuff, the same essence. So take Kevin for a second. His body is made of one unified genetic code, right? One, one, one code. So his, so his arm's not any more Kevin than his knee. And his head, as, as beautiful and shiny as it is, is not any more Kevin than his foot. It's all Kevin. It's all made of the same stuff. It's all made of the same essence. 
So we'd say the Father is not more God than the Son. The Son's not more God than the Father. Both are equally God. Each is of the same essence, the same stuff. Each is God. The Father is God. John 6, 27 refers to him as God the Father. The Son is God. John 1, 18 told us the one and only Son who is himself God. And this has been a theme throughout John that we've seen, that Jesus is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as having the same holy, eternal, all-knowing, all-present nature as the Father and the Son. So, I get to use the laser pointer today. If we're thinking about this unity, if we're trying to visualize this unity, we'd want to say that the Father is God, the Son is God, and that the Holy Spirit is God. There's a relationship of unity within the Trinity. Second, there's a relationship of love in the Trinity. Many of us have heard 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. Now, a lot of times we begin to think about that as being because God loves us. And he does, but God is love, not just because he loves us. For there was a time in eternity where we didn't exist God has always been love because he's always existed as this relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each who love each other. So if we're trying to visualize this, this love, this, this relationship of love between the Trinity, we would say that the Son loves the Father, that the Father loves the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit loves the Son. There's a relationship of love in the Trinity. And third, there's a relationship of distinction in the Trinity. You can identify three unique personalities, names, and roles. Last week, someone was, someone was leaving church, and I was kind of near the front door. They're stepping out. They look back and wave, and they say, bye, Daryl. <laughs> now, Daryl and I are both ministers here. Our names both begin with the letter D, followed by some vowels and consonants. And we both have silky, snow-white hair. <laughs> but I hope you realize, have realized that by now, I'm not Daryl. We're two different persons, right? We're distinct. I'm not Daryl, and Daryl isn't me. So if we're trying to visualize this distinction in the Trinity, we need to acknowledge this, that the Father is not the Son, right? They're, they're two distinct, unique persons, personalities. The Son it's not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. There's a relationship of distinction in the Trinity. The relationships of the Trinity are ones of unity, love, and distinction. Now, I think we can get the love part. I think we can get that part, because we have relationships of love that we live out on on a daily basis. But it's that distinction and unity, that God is three in one, that often is where... I, we kind of stumble. We kind of get a little confused. And it would be a contradiction if we meant that God was three in one in the same sense. But Christians believe that God is distinct and united three in one in two different senses. I know this sounds like a bad Dr. Seuss rhyme, but God is three who's and one what? I was thinking about this Late one night, a couple nights ago, I had just put our daughter down. I had read her a Dr. Seuss book on the alphabet. And I went back and looked at the, I, there you go. 
If, if, if uh, Dr. Seuss had been writing a book on the Trinity, he would have said three who's and one what. So if I were to ask Kevin, Kevin, who are you? He'd answer, I am Kevin. That's who I am. That's my, my personality. But if I were to ask Kevin, what are you? He'd say, I'm a human. Right? That's the stuff I'm made out of. That's my essence. At least I think that, I hope that he'd answer, I'm a human. I've only known him for six or seven months now, so we're going to go with that for now. And Kevin can give two different answers without contradicting himself because we're asking him two different questions. We're asking him two different questions. So in one sense, he is Kevin, and in another sense, he's human. So if you ask the father, who are you? He'd say, I am the father. If you were asked the son, who are you? He'd answer, I am the son. If you ask the Spirit, who are you? He'd answer, I am the Holy Spirit. But if you were to ask each, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what are you? They'd answer, I am God. The distinction and unity in the Trinity are not a contradiction because they answer different questions. God's three who's and one what. Does this feel hard to grasp? Yeah, it does, right? (laughs) It should. If you totally get this, please come talk to me about it, and help me out a little later. It is difficult. It is a mystery. It's a great, big, beautiful mystery, and it should be. We believe in a God who is so much bigger, so much more powerful than us, so much beyond our comprehension, that if we could sit down and easily understand God's inner workings, we could be pretty sure that we had made them all up. This mystery drives us to praise his all-powerful divinity. But at the very heart of who God is are these relationships between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's what Jesus describes here in our passage, his relationship with the Father. But then at the end of verse 37, Jesus makes this abrupt turn in his discussion. He begins to tell us why it's so important for us to understand, why all this stuff is so important for us to at least begin to grasp. He begins to talk about our relationship with God. This is what he says to the Pharisees in verses 37 to 42. And as we read this, remember, these are the religious leaders of the day. These are the guys who think they've got it all together in their relationship with God. This is what he tells them. You have never heard his voice. You have never heard God's voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Wow, that's an indictment. I mean, these are the guys who who know scripture the best, who follow the rules the best. They even came up with a few extra of their own rules. And Jesus says, you don't know God and you don't have eternal life because you don't know me. You don't know Jesus. And that's why Jesus has begun this discussion the way he, he has. As mysterious and maybe complicated as it can feel, Jesus has spent so long explaining his relationship with the Father, and we've spent a bit explaining those relationships between the Trinity because all of us define ourselves by our most important relationships. 
That's how we answer, who are you? And so this is Jesus saying, this is who I am. This is who God is. This relationship with the Father and Son is mysterious. You don't have to totally grasp it. You won't ever totally understand it, but you have to acknowledge it because if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. You can't have a relationship with someone if you don't know who they are. If after church this afternoon, you go and you get lunch with your family, you run into an old friend and you talk, start telling tell them about the headache I gave you during the sermon today. And they say, oh, Darvin, I know Darvin. I know Darvin Wallace. He's about 6'6". Six, six. You shouldn't laugh at that one. He's 6'6". Six, six. <laughs> Long, dark hair, beautiful olive complexion. You think, ah, I think you've got the wrong guy. I don't think you know Darwin. <laughs> because you can't have a relationship with someone if you don't know who they are. And, God, and Jesus being God and his relationship with the Father is a part of who God is. Jesus repeats this several times in our passage. Verse 23 says, whoever does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 38 says, Nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one I sent. If you don't know, honor, believe in Jesus, then you simply don't know God. And Jesus tells us why this matters several times in this passage. Three of the places are verse 24, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, what? Eternal life. Verse 21 says, the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Verse 40 says, you refuse to come to me to have life. So why does this matter? Because eternal life is available only through Christ. There's no, there's no detour, no other option. Eternal life goes through Christ and his sacrifice on the cross to restore our broken relationship with God. But this is proven as hard for us to grasp as it was for these Pharisees. The Pew Research Center has found that 52% of all self-identified Christians in the United States say that some non-Christian faiths can lead to eternal life. And that's largely why, for example, 59% of all American adults believe that Christians and Muslims worship the same God, though Muslims simply disagree with Christians on the divinity and the salvation of Christ. So we find ourselves in a time when most people who identify as Christians in our nation disagree with Jesus, thinking it's possible to know God and have eternal life without Christ. But Jesus is really clear with these Pharisees in this passage. If you don't know Jesus, then you don't know God. Who are you? Who are you? We each begin to answer this question by talking about our most, most important relationships. Jesus discussed his relationship with the Father. That was who he was. Who are you? He asked as he sat down by me, the last seat on the plane a couple weeks ago. But he did eventually get around to that more traditional question. What do you do? Well, I'm a minister. From there, it was a conversation that took the whole flight that night two weeks ago. Somewhere in there, I shared the gospel that God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to live a perfect life and die on the cross 
save us from our sin. And he had never heard that before. He had never heard that Christians believe that it's belief in Jesus that saves. He was confused by it at first. But, but I pray. I try to help other people when I get a chance. I'm pretty spiritual. And I said, well, that's the thing. That's the thing about it. It's not about all that. It's about belief in Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? I haven't thought about it that way before. But I do think I know God. And maybe it was because I had been thinking about this passage, but as we quietly glided through the air at 30,000 some feet, I simply said, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this discussion that we get to watch this morning between you and, and, and some Pharisees here, Lord. Uh, it's a hard passage with some hard truths to quite get our mind around. But we pray even as we begin to contemplate these things uh, that we would just humbly come to you recognizing how much greater uh, you are than us, how incomprehensible uh, you are in your splendor and your magnificence. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.